Hi, everybody. Another week goes flying by here, and uh, there's less banks than there were the week before. That's an interesting development, right? But don't worry. Many of you have been certainly very much relieved, soothed even, by the presence of Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary, about the banking situation. I think that it's very clear that when you have a Muppet, a poorly portrayed Muppet, perhaps but a Muppet, giving you information on finance, high-level finance and banking, that there's nothing like that to make you feel better, particularly coming from a Muppet that's never been right about anything, apparently. So uh, I'm sure that just everything's feeling great. <laughs> Hi, folks. It's once again, it's Rick Wagner out there. Hey, we're here at KNZZ, KGLN. We're 100 and 980 and 92.7 and 101.3, depending on where you're at. We appreciate your listenership and all of you folks on the uh, internet and, uh, we're listening on the podcast. So yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been quite a week. I mean, it gives you a lot of confidence. Remember, it doesn't mean that all banks are in trouble when they talk about banking. You know, what you see here is a sad situation where you had a very poorly run bank that was very large, the 16th largest bank in America, and that was a uh, Silicon Valley bank, followed by One Republic who were managed by people who apparently had no interest in banking, but a lot of interest in woke causes and, you know, dancing videos and all kinds of stuff like that, and just couldn't get the uh, the numbers right when the economy went a little bit haywire that a lot of people have expected that was going to be and uh, had a problem. And it, you know, has a cascading effect in the banking system. It doesn't mean all of them are set up like that, but it, it's definitely going to create a little stress. And where it's probably going to create stress on a local level, it's going to force a lot of banks uh, with these with new requirements and some regulation may come out. We'll see what happens with that. But it's it awakens folks if the interest rate's going up that it's going to get a little tougher to borrow money in some of these places. And if you do get it, you're going to pay more for it. Remember, money's a commodity. It's just like buying a kumquat or a peach. It has a price, and the price changes depending on its availability and how much demand there is for it. So we're seeing some relatively high interest rates, not just in housing and so forth, but in lending. Now, I heard that some of the bigger banks, for instance, on HELOC loans, you know, home equity lines of credit, charging 8%, and someone said for some car loans, depending on your credit score, people could be saying 10% on a car loan. That's going to really tighten the economy up a little bit. So we're going to have to see how that plays out. But it doesn't mean all banks are weak. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. I would just, you know, be careful with my money and uh, realize if i got to borrow money, they're going to want to make sure that I can pay it back a little harder than they have in the past, and I'm going to pay more for it. But that's kind of how that goes. Well, speaking of people who don't really know what they're doing, uh, I testified in front of the legislature the other day, and uh, it was, uh, as usual, disappointing to just, you know, this is why I don't think I could be in the legislature, because I don't think I could actually be in the legislature. I think that even if I were elected official, I would, during these hearings, I would have to go sit out in the curb in front of the building, maybe, and feed pigeons or something. Because being in that room with the level of inquiry, uh, constant ideology versus rationality that comes across in some of these bills, it's just too annoying. What I testified about was uh, it's House Bill 170, and it is a uh, 23-170. I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's a House bill. It's a House Judiciary Committee. And... Uh, what it is, it's an expansion of the red flag laws, which they like to refer to as ERBOs, ERPOs, excuse me, emergency response, uh, protection orders, uh, you know, not red flag. No, no, that's just, that's too inflammatory. And see, if they use the word red flag, you might know what they're talking about. 
They don't want that, so they just rename things all the time. This is that control of the language he talks about. Well, we have it in Colorado, and it's been enough of an issue. And I, one of the legislators did say there's some good ones, don't get me wrong. It's just that after, after you hear some of them go on, it kind of sours you on the whole experience. But one of them had brought up, and one of the Republican legislatures brought up, that only about 30% of the complaints filed by citizenry, in other words, some of the people who are already allowed to f- file red flag petitions, were found to be worthwhile. So his question was, why should we expand that to other people who are even have a more tenuous relationship? Because, you know, now you're talking about relatives and people like that that can do it. Now they want to expand it to educators. There you go. School counselors. Mm-hmm. Mental health professionals. Yes. There's some problems with all of those categories. One, of course, is the idea that counselors and uh, teachers can be part of the petition process, which, remember, is an ex parte process, right? So you get this, and then law enforcement has to go out and enforce it, sometimes with the person not even realizing that the order had been entered. Now, the person who has the order against them has an opportunity later on to try and dispute the order and get their firearms back or something like that in case it, it does get to be found to have merit based on what the judge hears from one of the parties, just the one. So it, it's an extremely bad situation for law enforcement. And a lot of the law enforcement folks in the area have done their own investigations after the order has been sent out to try and see what's going on and see if, it, see if, it's, if it's unfounded or if there's something to it. Because there's not really a whole lot there. And the specific guidance that they give to the courts, not very good. And so I realized that it was this new expansion, which is really going to repeal and reintroduce this thing with all these expanded folks able to do this. Is, is that that legislative train is just leaving? You could just tell because I sat there and watched people testify, and, and, and these guys, it's going to pass. I mean, the Democrats have a strong majority in the both houses here in the state, and there it's going to pass in some in some form. Rather, not any tiny amendments get permitted, which is what I was talking about. I, I said first of all, it seemed to me that the whole idea of a quote red flag or you know seizing people's firearms should at least flow from an M1 hold, which is a, a hold we've had for decades that allows a peace officer, uh, a uh, physician, a couple other people to be able to have someone held for 72 hours uh, for a psychological examination. So it seems to me that if there's a problem and they're a danger to themselves or others, which is a standard, and that can be shown, uh, they could be examined. And if the result of that examination is that they're, you know, a little on the kooky bird side, then and then I suppose you could talk about, you know, moving on to the, you know, red flag area. But no one's interested in that. I also suggest that they ought to talk about this liability section for peace officers who are going to be forced to go out and do this. It's dangerous. As some of you know, two years ago, the legislature removed a lot of the protection law enforcement officers have from lawsuits involving their interactions with the public. So you're going to ask them to have a lot more weird and dangerous interactions with the public and continue to not allow them to have any heightened degree of protection from that. And uh, I could tell they looked at me like, hey, what's he saying? He says, is what time is it? So, you know, so I gave it a shot. I had a couple other things in there. And then uh, I made myself especially popular with them uh, when I said in closing that uh, as someone who has done a lot of drug prosecutions and so forth, I find it uh, highly ironic, ironic, that this this very assembly, on the one hand, is working so hard to uh, 
limit access to what they say are dangerous instrumentalities, of which there is, you know, quite a bit of, you know, quite a bit of argument about that, that, that they have legitimate uses and much more so than they have bad uses. And at the same time are in a race to see how many drugs and narcotics they could legalize and spread throughout the community when we know that drug use and open drug use especially and the need for drugs fuels a tremendous amount of crime of all sorts. So I said it's, it's ironic that you're so worried about firearms and at the same time you're racing down the road to decriminalize drugs which have a high connectability with violent and violence and theft. I don't think that did any good either, really. I <laughs> I had to say it. I'm sorry. I just had to say it. It just it's 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 a ridiculous. Uh, it, it it is. It's just it's just a ridiculous irony that they would do that, and they are totally oblivious to it. And it's the kind of thing that should make the regular citizen out here race down and camp out in his truck uh, by any office that will accept their ballot every election to make sure they get the, the vote in to get rid of these Jaspers. But we haven't had much luck with that. We're going to have to get on it. It has to be done. But like I said, if you'd spend a couple hours watching and listening to these people, and uh, I was looking through some of, my, some of my work papers there, and listen to what they were saying, yeah, it's more eye-opening than you'd like. Well, everybody, thanks a lot for hanging on with us as we come around the bend on this second segment here. We appreciate your listenership as usual. Uh, I always say that even every segment because I figure people may just say, well, they, that's it. I've had it with him. So if you stick through that, I appreciate it. Hey, listen, I wanted to bring someone on the show today because it's a, a topic that just seems so important, this educational system we have out here and trying to get it back on track or even pieces of it back on track so we don't turn out people that uh, have to order their hamburgers with a picture rather than, you know, typing it in uh, or and can't make change or even know how to use money, uh, we've got to gra- take it by the bull by the horns here. And so I have uh, someone here lo- that's going to, they're doing something locally in our area here in Mesa County. And for those of you in other counties and other places, it's still a very important topic, and that's charter schools. And today we have with us uh, – Kim Gilmartin, and she's the director for new school development at Asset Classical Academies. And right away, as I told her, is when you say classical and if you have a Doric column or a pediment with uh, any sort of uh, ins- anything inscribed on it, I'm, I'm already on board. You know, you'd have to push me much further. So, uh, Kim, welcome to the show. And thanks a lot for, you know, your efforts, because I understand that you're going to be starting a charter school here in Mesa County, can you tell us just real briefly what the process is for that and what a charter school does? Sure. Thanks a lot, Rick, for having me. Um, yeah, so we are we are opening uh, a new charter school there in the fall of this year. We'll be opening our doors August 28th. We are a tuition-free classical um, charter school, and um, we this will be our third school that we've, that we've opened in Colorado. We have two other classical schools. Um, and the Front Range, one in Lone Tree, Colorado, and another one in Windsor, Colorado. They're both K-12 schools. Um, we are uh, Hillsdale-affiliated, so all that means is that they advise us on the curriculum, the K-12 curriculum that we use. Um, we are really excited. This has been about a two-year process for us in Grand Junction. I started working with the people in that community who wanted a school, one in one of our schools, Back in 2021, and uh, we we started gathering interest. We knew that this was uh, that this was something that 
parents wanted. And in the fall of 2021, I know there was a board election there and the board changed. And so I, I went to the board and, and said, you know, we, we'd really like to get a school open. And because our other two schools are authorized by the state, that's the Charter School Institute, we asked the board if we could go to the state directly. So you can be authorized either by your local school district board or by the state. But if you want to get go to the state, you have to get permission from the board. And that board voted unanimously, 5-0, to let us go to the state. And so we went through that process, and we were approved last year. And now we'll be opening our school in the fall. Well, that's good, because we had a very large change on the board this last election, which has, you know, caused the twitching reaction of some malevolent grinches on the left, because uh, they don't really like anything that conservative school boards do. And uh, <laughs> I'm happy to hear that, uh, that this was something that got done. Now, when you say classical education which, of course, appeals to me right away because I have a pretty good idea what I think what a classical education entails. Uh, why don't you tell us real briefly how, you know, the classical academy that you guys run is a little, you know, precisely what that is. And parenthetically, will is will the student uniform be toga or the more traditional Greek chiton? So we want to know that too. <laughs> okay, yeah, we'll get into uniforms in a second. Um but I, I always like to tell parents that classical education, I, I think the easiest way to describe it is it was probably the way your grandparents, your great-grandparents were, were taught. And, of course, decades before that, it, it really is a more traditional way of, of educating. It's not innovative. You know, today you hear about schools trying this or that, new fads. That's not what we're doing. We're going, uh, we're using a curriculum that's time-tested, tried and true. Um, our curriculum doesn't doesn't change and we have a very prescribed curriculum parents are always going to know what they're getting and in a classical school your children are going to receive a, a very well-rounded education in the liberal arts and sciences and that means that students study literature mathematics history the sciences the fine arts latin which my children hate but that is part of a classical education which was my uh, language which by the way was my language requirement in college so <laughs> was it? Yeah. Well, you know, if people say, why would you teach a dead language? Language, Because it's the basis for most modern languages. And, you know, if, if they learn Latin, they're going to have a, such a better grasp on vocabulary, uh, do better on, you know, the SATs, things like that. So, But in these early years, during their K-12 years, these are, these are the years that students are still coming to know themselves and the world around them. And so we believe that we need to give students a solid foundation in the core subjects before going on to advanced or specialized training and study. And so what we hope is that a liberal education is going to guide students into freedom. And by making them self-reliant and responsible, capable of governing themselves and taking part in self-government of their communities, we're going to be creating great citizens, right? Because liberal education makes us fit to be true citizens. That's what we're trying to accomplish. Well, I mean, uh, your curriculum sounds great to me, and it allows them to have a basis for what Western civilization, of course, is all about. And we are, in fact, a product of Western civilization, despite how some people either seem to dislike that or try and take credit for it for some very strange ideas. But, uh, yes, most of what we think do in government and so forth comes from a classical education, a lot of it deriving from around the uh, ancient Mediterranean, then, of course, the British systems and a few things like that. We get less and less of that. You know, we get Shakespeare's picture taken down and uh, some popular novelist put up, you know, that uh, 
people can't remember three things they've ever written. It's right. it, it's time that we change, and uh, people need to know some of these things. And our our kids, especially when they get into the upper school and high school, they're going to be they're going to be reading some of the books that have become quite popular lately. You know, books like 1984 and A Brave New World. Um, you know, these are, and of course, in the in an upper school, To Kill a Mockingbird. Some of these books that have been banned. You know, these these are these are the great works of literature. Huckleberry that's Finn, Tom Sawyer. Those are being banned yep. in some of the stories. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's really Maybe looking forward. Yeah, I've I've seen the some of the evidence of the reading comprehension skills of some some graduates, and it's so sad. We are doing them such a disservice, you know. And uh, yeah, these are these are difficult texts. To read, I mean, they're not that difficult, but you know, our kids are also going to read the Odyssey and the Iliad. But these are these are difficult texts that kids they can do it if they're given the opportunity. They will rise to the challenge, right? And we need our kids to be given content-rich curriculum. That's just something that's been lost. Well, I'm I'm loving what you're saying years. saying here, you know, and uh, probably a straightforward civics. Actual constitutional law and development, you know, things like that. Things, you know, that, uh, doesn't delve instantly into political ideology of the last 15 minutes, but the foundation and the actual ideas and writings of people, which we rely on even today, right? That's right. Um, we, in our, in our high school, when they get into their senior year, they take a course on American government. One of the things that we always talk about is, um, how we are an American classical school and what's and there are classical schools all over the place. But the, the, the American piece is that we do put a little stronger emphasis, especially as you get into the upper grades, in studying the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Federalist Papers. You know, we're going to go back to primary source, source documents. And, and we think it's important that young people know about how their government was formed, how their country was formed. We want them to have an appreciation and love of America, not hatred for it. It's it's hard to imagine that we're having to have this discussion now, isn't it? You know that that, that these things are like a controversial, or that we have to make sure they end up uh, in in the schools. It it, it sometimes yeah. you take a step back and it it makes you feel surreal that we are arguing about things that should be fundamental, and many things that up to two or three years ago weren't even controversial have now become. You know, something that you can be shouted down and hooted out of your job by a bunch of uh, pinheads. And it, it's, and it's ever so often when we're I, having discussions like this, it just seems surreal to me. It, it really is. Um, it, it, and it's, this is kind of funny. There's, I, I, it is funny and it's not, but I know there's been some controversy lately there um, in Grand Junction around what's happened with, uh, with some, you know, that the school closure and, of course, assent was mentioned because we were a school that was approved uh, to open. And it's funny because it, I call it a hit piece on assent. Uh, well, it is. It it's, exa- that's exact, that's exactly what it is. We have non-performing schools with not enough students, and we have someone that wants to attract students by having a curriculum that parents in the area want to send their children to. I don't think you'll have any problem at all filling that school. How many students will you well, anticipate anyway? Uh, well, so we're going to open with grades K through eight the first year, this year. We will ultimately be a K-12 school. So we open with grades K through eight next year. So in 2024-25, we'll add ninth grade. Then the following year, 10th grade and so on and so forth. So we reach K-12. This first year, we're going to do two sections, which that means two grades of K through six, and then one grade seven and eight. 
So total this year would be about 420 students. Okay. If we were to reach max. Okay. What, why don't, I don't uh, need to cut you off, but we're running out of time here. Okay. What, where can people go to get more information? If they'd like to apply, they're going to go to, go to our website, grandjunction.ascentclassical, and that's spelled A-S-C-E-N-T classical.org. When you get there, you just go to the apply now page. Okay. And fill out an application. Great. Great. Well, we're going to let you go and we may, I'm sure we may talk again and thank you very much for joining us. And I know the audience is interested. We will talk Thanks to you later. Thanks for hanging on, everybody. Much, yeah, that's life out there. Yeah, that's life. I uh, enjoyed that segment about uh, charter schools. And I bring that up because, and I'm sure it's obvious to a lot of the listeners that we have, is that we got to do something about the education system. And using the word education has just become a euphemism for, uh, idiot sort of indoctrination. <laughs> I should say idiotic indoctrination. And so what you do is you turn out people that know a lot of things, but none of them are useful, and most of them aren't true. Uh, that's not, I think, what we call an education. It is either indoctrination or it is uh, a head full of propaganda. And, you know, you can get enough propaganda in your life if you want to, just give the guy the tools or the gal or the person or the they, them, the tools to read and make up their own mind. And just because they don't agree with us, that's fine if I feel like they at least have a reason for it. Uh, it may be a reason I don't agree with or that I think isn't uh, really tethered to reality. But it would be nice to think that they have at least some kind of educational background and have explored the possibilities and are familiar with the things across the political spectrum and have made their own decisions instead of not knowing any of those things and had the decisions made for them in the sense that they're only taught one thing. So having a school, especially one that has a classical education, I mean, if they're going to teach Latin and if they're going to have classes on civics and government and, I mean, why is that strange? <laughs> That's what it, as I'm listening to this and I'm talking about how great that is, why should that why should that be something that we have to comment on? We now have to elevate things that should be commonplace to say, wow, that's great. Well, it ought to be what we see all the time and don't even notice. Instead, it's just the opposite. Anyway, this segment, I, I have a bunch of things that uh, I just want to bring to your attention. And most of these were on our website this week. And some of them were just so strange. They're, they're not necessarily related unless you want to talk about sort of the uh, the spiraling down of the culture and apparently people's uh, ability to figure out what's going on around them in some areas. And there was something that I thought was interesting. That there's a, a new crime trend out there. They called it jugging, I guess sort of like Jughead. I expected to see Jughead from uh, the Archie comics come charging out and assault people. But no, for some reason, it's when uh, a couple of people sit around and watch an ATM machine and then when somebody takes money out, they rush them and throw them to the ground and take their money and take off. Uh, I don't know why that needs a new name. That's just robbery, isn't it? I mean, it's just, uh, you know, assault and robbery. Unfortunately, it was connected with this woman that you may have read about. that was a big story several places in New York that was thrown to the ground. And, uh, you know, she's left paralyzed after you know, being injured. Hopefully she's going to recover. We don't know. But uh, for this, and, of course, she was a... A young lady of not particularly large size and was attacked and picked up, thrown to the ground, and then her money taking. I don't know why it needs a new name. Uh, it's just should be called, uh, Democrat Citying. 
<laughs> Maybe that's easier. So I would once again refer po- folks to the uh, video that I have on my website that's been up for a long time uh, from the Marine Corps in 1943, I think it was made, maybe 42, uh, on club and knife fighting. I just recommend taking a look at that before you uh, head to any Democrat-run city just to sort of brush up your skills a little bit there. And I have to say that there's something from Colorado I wanted to mention, too. And some of you may have seen this story somewhere. I don't know. I don't see it many places. But one of the cities here in Colorado, on the front range, of course, has banned any new gas stations to tackle climate change. Yes, sir. They only have six in town, and it's 21,000 people. And it is, of course, the town of Louisville. Now, not to be confused with Louisville, even though it's spelled the same way, Louisville over there, um, you know, in uh, just just right in, outside of, I think it's outside of Boulder County. It might be in Boulder County. Geez, I, I went there many times <laughs> in Boulder for some reason. But, uh, yeah, so they're, uh, they're going to be just having six gas stations because that'll tackle climate change. The, the idea there, and when you read it, this shows, once again, people who has had apparently a series of blows to the head at some point and are still allowed to make laws. And this is something where what they want to say to everybody is, look, you need to get electric vehicles. And so we're going to get rid of gas stations so it's not convenient. So then you'll buy electric vehicles. Okay. The charging stations, uh, as we know, you can have a gas station with, say, let's say six pumps. And you can fill a vehicle up in, let's say, five, seven minutes, maybe a little bit longer if you have a truck or something. And away you go, full tank. You pull in with electric vehicle, say there's six charging stations, six people pull in. In most cases, if they're low, two hours later or an hour later, they're still there. So how many people, and this is something you don't hear, and I, I tried to find this, and it, I had, and I didn't look all that hard, but I, I spent a little time looking to say, how many people can a charging station service in a day? Right. So that gives you some idea how many people could get through there. And it's really hard to find. Now, there is some varying times on vehicles for their charging, but it still takes a pretty long time. The fastest is really your Teslas uh, that can charge much faster, like depending on how far down you are, 30 minutes to an hour, something like that, as near as I can tell. But let's say let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Say it averages if you're low an hour and it's going to be more than that, I think at even the high-speed charging stations for m- many of these vehicles. Uh, but let's say it's an hour. Well, let's say it's half an hour. How many vehicles do you think you can get through one of these a station in that in a day? So how many charging stations do you think you're going to need, assuming most of your population is driving electric vehicles? It just doesn't make any sense. And, of course, when you realize that we also don't have the grid capacity that run all those charging stations... I mean, I was looking at a place in New Mexico, and they they decided that, by golly, and it's a very liberal place, we're going to have charging stations in these places. And it, so it was one of their city councils in that area. And they decided they were going to put them out in these hinterland areas, so, you know, where people kind of go on vacation, you know, and they're going to they're going to put them out there, by golly. And when you read it, you realize that, that they assumed that it was just like a pole that you ran a, a wire to from someplace, you know, like like you'd run a lamp in your house. And when they found out uh, to have any kind of an efficient charging station, all the infrastructure it needed and the power requirements for each one of those, they were like, well, what? We didn't, you know. 
this is the problem with people who are making rules that don't understand what they're doing. I mean, in a, in not only in a cultural, political sense, but in a technical sense. And they were just stunned by how much had to go into each charging station. They just thought essentially you could put a pole in the ground and I guess a couple of different plugins that came off of them or cords that come off of them and then run a wire someplace, you know, like maybe for a lamp or maybe so if an outdoor kind of wire like for an electric lawnmower or something and then cars would charge off that. Well, yeah, in a couple of days. (laughs) And they're just they, they had no idea what they were talking about. And it's the same kind of thing that goes into places like this. Well, we'll just, we'll just essentially get rid of, uh, gas powered vehicles by making, filling up unavailable. And then the people will buy the, it's, it's, it's childlike. It's dangerously childlike. So welcome to Louisville. I just like going to Louisville. You know, it was quaint. It's always been kind of quaint. Has some, I still think it does. I haven't been there in a few years. Really great Italian restaurants in it. The Blue Parrot, which I can't help but think is still really good. Anyway, uh, so then we uh, get some more stuff that's pretty interesting, I thought. One was, of course, along the same line is this Energy Secretary Granholm. Remember her? She's the blonde woman with the short hair and the glasses that's very rich, that can't seem to figure out how to not have a conflict of interest in her job. Luckily, she's not very interested in her job, so maybe that offsets it. I don't know. And the second thing is she doesn't really know anything about her job. So, of course, there's been this rumor, which I think is pretty substantiated, that people wanted to ban gas stoves. Because, as you know, natural gas is made from, I know, hold on here, petrochemicals. Yeah, what do you know? I mean, the killers of the earth. And so they wanted to get rid of those. And then, oh, no, we don't, no, we don't, no, we don't. And so we get a lot of mixed messaging and confusion out of uh, the federal government which I'd be interested to see how they can ban that, by the way. I mean, I used to think that I understood the Constitution well enough to say that the federal government had some limited powers about what it could do across the states, but apparently I'm, you know, I was all wrong about that. But she said, no, no, no. And now what everyone else has been saying, there's no plan to to ban gas stoves by the federal government. Now she said, no, 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 that that their plan will only impact high-end models. High-end models? You know, like these expensive cooktops and stuff, like people that uh, are foodies have in their house, I guess is what she's referencing to. And doesn't really explain what the difference is between that and the gas range that your grandmother had uh, in 1970. Uh, so high-end, what is she, you know. But this is in the face of saying that there wasn't any plan to begin with. And now, this, well, now I guess there was a plan. She's not very smart. I don't know how they got some money. I'm sure it's not from her dealings and to say that to say there's no ban except for the ones that the high ends would only fix it's 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 such a, a window into these people's thinking into what's going on in the government that it's it's more than a little confusing and well i don't know if it's confusing at all really i think it tells you exactly what you need to know about these people oh and here's another story that i thought was emblematic of what's going on walmart who has become increasingly woke these last few years by the way is going to close a series of more stores across nine states. I think it's like 13 stores uh, due to falling profits. And they're going to do hundreds of layoffs at some of the fulfillment centers and places like that. And it's a little mysterious about these falling profits, but you look at some of these things, and I think they're in cities where they're having real problems with shoplifting. 
I mean, if you go to some of the stores in some of the Democrat cities right now and you try to go buy something, uh, you better be having a cutting torch with you because everything is locked up. Even things that you can't imagine why they would need to lock them up uh, because of their value or size even. Everything's behind glass or, uh, in most cases, not real glass, but polycarbonate glass so that you can't just break it and walk out with it. And it's, it's incredibly inconvenient. And it also is an interesting thing when you consider that most of these places, particularly in these Democrat cities, can't hire enough people. So you lock everything up so it doesn't just walk out the door because if it walks out the door, no one's going to do anything about it. And if you do something about it, you're probably going to get beat up. And if you don't get beat up and try to do something about it, you're probably going to get prosecuted. So things just walk out of these places if you don't lock them down. And in some places, I, I think even locking them down, as soon as you take it out of the – how do you know the guy isn't going to snatch it and just run out of the store with it? You know, if, if that's the mentality, you're really not protecting yourself too much. But So you have less employees, and so you lock everything up. But what happens and – and you folks know too because a lot of the stores in areas where I'm, I'm talking to – have this issue. Well, you have to wander around the store like a lost sheep until you find an employee and see if they can open the cabinet so that you can get something out that six months ago uh, you could just take it out and walk up to the cash register with. So you have to find the employee. Now, remember, the first employee you find will not have the key to that cabinet. I mean, that's just, that's an axiomatic thing. That's a physics thing, really, uh, that it's sort of like you can't tell the spin of a quark uh, when you measure it, it makes the spin come on. It's the same thing. It, it's a it's a physics thing. Eighty seven percent of the time, I think that's the correct number. Uh, an employee you approach to unlock something will not have the key to whatever it is you're trying to unlock. So then they'll find the person with the key and they'll come and lock it. And you'll get it, and perhaps you'll get to the front of the store and pay for it. Does that seem particularly efficient to you? Uh, does it make your trip to the store fun? I don't know about you, but lots of people I talk to, and myself included, don't find going to the store particularly fun anymore. Even in places you think of a relatively, you know, not a problem with hyper shoplifting. I'm sure there's shoplifting in the places, but, you know, it's not like loading up a, you know, plastic garbage bag and just walking out the door with it five times a day. But so you go there. If you want something that's locked up, you got to go through that. Of course, there's you, you check yourself out now. And then you, uh, then you have to, in Colorado, you have to, of course, bring your own bag, like, you know, like any, you know, surf does. You know, they carry their, I preferably burlap bag, but uh, I guess you could carry something else. Or you can buy one from the store. And, uh, if you're in some places, like, say, Walmart, uh, ones I've been in, just stop carrying plastic bags altogether. And the bag, if you want to buy, the cheapest bag is 74 cents. And they'd like to get you to buy the 98 cent or the $2 bags if they can. And so if you forget your bag and you're just in a bad mood and you can try and juggle your purchases as you walk out the front door. So that whole experience of shopping is no fun anymore. And I can't help but that doesn't think the bottom line a little bit. Because I don't go to the store unless I have to right now. Now, I'm not somebody that wants to go shopping. You know, like, let's go shopping today. What are you looking for? I don't know. Let's just go shopping. But... Even going to the store to buy something that, you know, you need, not a lot of fun. So I can't help but believe that all these things, shoplifting, this employee problem, locking everything up, and the whole, you know, nine yards here is causing this problem, even with Walmart. And I think that should be a little bit of a canary in the coal mine about what's going on when you start seeing that. 
in places that in the past have been relatively profitable. And we all know that in order to keep prices low, a lot of these places don't have huge margins on some of their products, particularly groceries. Groceries traditionally have a pretty small margin. But at the same time, you sell a lot of them, and they're not something that you keep. It's not like you buy a loaf of, I was thinking of it as a loaf, of Velveeta and take home and put on your counter and, uh, you know, when, when you pass it on to your grandchildren. I mean, it's gone pretty soon. You're back again. So the whole idea is to get you in there and buy a lot of that stuff. And it has to be cheap enough so that you will do it. And then they have a pretty small margin on a lot of that stuff. So you get a lot of shoplifting in a store that has that kind of stuff. I mean, it, the, whatever profit margin they have just disappears. But they don't like to say it's because of theft and so forth. Some of them do. Remember some of the Rite Aids and some of the, like, well, for instance, uh, San Francisco have been closing stores. And then the, the city and people just go wild. Well, why are you closing a store? People need it. This and that. Well, why won't you protect us? Why don't you protect something that the people want so that they can get it? That's just like, you know, well, you, you people are bad because you won't let people steal all you want to, and then people in the area need stuff. Well, I mean, it's not a charity. All of these things tend to make you think that what the government would really like to do is go back to the old Soviet Union where they ran the grocery stores and they ran the gas stations and... You know, the, all of that stuff. You could have just one big department store. Remember the Soviet Union's big department store in Moscow is called GUM, G-U-M? And, <laughs> and it was not exactly a plethora of consumerism. And, but that, that's what they would like to do. I mean, you can see that in California is the most obvious, getting to be Washington DC now and then populating throughout the country, how much they hate the oil companies. Not just because they're hideous, you know, producers of very much pollutants, but just because. And they hate the fact that when they force gasoline prices up, the oil companies make money, right? Because when you have less of something, it is more profitable. And let's face it, there are other things in here than just the fuel itself. If I think about this. And you guys know this. I mean, this is why don't you folks out there run for Congress or run for office, please? Because you got a little common sense. Think about this: if if a gallon of gasoline is worth, you let's say you pay two dollars for it, and it's worth three dollars, and at that price, you're selling a fair amount of it, right? And but to keep selling it. You, of course, have to replace it, which means you have transportation costs, labor costs, making more gasoline. Gasoline, unlike what some of these morons in our legislatures think, does not come out of the ground. You don't just punch a hole in the ground and start pumping up, you know, well, there's premium over there. Let's sink another one, see if we can hit some regular. And they seem to think that. So there's a lot of labor involved in making gasoline and transporting it to the station. So if I can transport that once and make good money off of it, uh, then I save money on transportation costs and so forth. So there's a little bit of an economy there. And they just hate the idea they're making money off of it. Well, they're making money off of it because you're pushing it up. They would really prefer that you bought more gas at a reasonable price because the stations then cycle through things and the independent operators that own a lot of these stations and the stations that, that are actually owned by the oil companies, which are not all that many really, get you in there, you buy gasoline, uh, you go inside, you, you spend $3 for a ho-ho. Uh, you know, everybody's happy because you're in there all the time. When you're not, 
And then all of this peripheral consumerism starts to disappear. So when you when you look at what's going on in California, they're so mad. What they want to do, of course, is what do what does the left always want to do? Well, they want to tax windfall profit tax. Right. They they just they're so mad at the oil companies for making money. They want to take part of that money just because. And if you think about it, we've had a windfall profit tax before and it, it was a disaster and they want to do the same thing again. But when you read what they say. And these people are not smart, and they say things that really reveal their purpose. They just like to run the thing. Well, Maxine Waters said she just liked to, you know, nationalize the oil companies a couple of years ago. Remember that? Um, I hope she tries because with her at the wheel, nothing will ever happen. But she's still a vote against bad ideas, for bad ideas. So they would really like to do that. I mean, they would love to nationalize the oil companies. And think how well that would work. I mean, go down to Venezuela and try and fill up your truck, right? I mean, that gives you an idea. And so you you get to see how these ideas play out with these guys. And it's it's frightening not only what they want to do, but how inept they are at doing it. And then when you give them the power to do things that are not only bad ideas, but they do them really poorly. It's no wonder people are upset, nervous, frightened, and that uh, 70% of the people out there in a survey said they think that things will be worse for their children or certainly no better than they have it now. That's not the American dream. The American dream is that people's children and grandchildren and things will be better than they are now. And people are losing that. You, you can't move forward in a society if people feel like that. If it, you know, somehow that, you know, things are static or going downhill. Yeah. Speaking of going downhill, last story I would like to highlight here. A woman cycling champ quits after loss to trans rider. Another trans, uh, winner days later in New York City race. Yeah. Um, it says a former women's cycling champion. Quit the sport after losing to a transgender rider. A decision followed two days later by another trans cyclist declaring she, he, I guess, uh, felt like a, a, they, I guess, uh, felt like a superhero for her women's race win in New York. That's the madness we live in now. It's, you know, and so you wonder why people are unsure about what they need to do and the economy is bad and this and that. The only solution is change, and you are the change. So we got city council elections coming up a lot of places. We'll have school board elections pretty soon. Get involved. Make sure you vote. Vote for the right people. It's the first step. See you next week.